Hey everyone, welcome back to Your Purpose is Beauty. If you're just here on the public feed, it means I haven't had a chance to chat with you for a couple weeks because last week was the first Monday of March and ergo it was the patron exclusive episode for the month of March. I talked a bit about why it's so difficult for bloggers or influencers, beauty bloggers, influencers to critique PR products openly. And I used the recent Detox Market Bliss Bundle as an example because I thought that curation was really kind of not very good. So I did a whole episode on that. If you'd like to check it out, you can go to patreon.com slash Music, And for $3 a month, you get access to those bonus episodes. Just wanted to get that out of the way. We're not going to belabor it because... Today, we have an amazing interview with my fellow blogger, comrade, colleague, Marie Dr. Chick from And the Color Green. Marie makes content all about skincare, green beauty. She lives on the island of Maui, and I always can't believe that people actually get to live in Hawaii. It's the most beautiful place I have personally ever been. And yeah, she lives on Maui. So she used to do more vlog content, but she primarily does videos about eco-green beauty. She's been making videos since 2016. And she's someone that I have always connected with. I watch her content regularly. I feel very in tune with her approach. I feel like she's extremely educated, extremely knowledgeable. She's also very discerning. And very honest in her assessments of products. She's also a Beauty Heroes brand ambassador, so we share that overlap. And truthfully, I don't consume a lot of content from other bloggers, not because there's not a lot of people out there that are doing good work. I mean, there are. There's so many people that do blogging and even influencing really well. But I just don't like to have my perspective you know, kind of influenced or or colored or I just sort of like to stay in my lane, right? But I religiously watch Marie's videos because I just enjoy her. She's such a breath of fresh air. She's funny. She's down to earth and she's just wicked smart. In the conversation that you're going to hear today, we start by hearing a bit about how Marie got into making content, how for a while she actually ran her own subscription box. It was called Face Mask Alchemy. And it was really interesting for me to hear about the evolution of that, why she's why she decided to stop and what's kind of on the horizon for her. I wanted to hear the ins and outs of how her creative process, basically how she decides what products she wants to test just kind of how she navigates that, you know, and it's really interesting for me as someone that's in a very um, similar position to hear how someone else navigates that. Now, we also got into a lot of very timely, somewhat controversial topics that are happening in green beauty, not controversial between she and I, but we did talk quite a bit about the current polarization in the green beautyscape or really the beautyscape generally kind of pitting conventional beauty against green beauty and how there's been this real backlash to green beauty lately. So we talked quite a bit about the toxic beauty documentary and we talked about how there really, really needs to be a place for intuition and feelings in the midst of all of this scientific rigor that you know, people are are defaulting to. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get into this conversation with Marie, which I really hope that you'll enjoy. 
Alivia is an exclusive prebiotic plant-based skincare line designed to feed the beneficial microbes living on our skin. I've been trying the Orchid Body Cleanse and it's great for people with sensitive body skin conditions like eczema and psoriasis, yet gentle enough for all skin types. Acadian sea kelp and dead sea salt work as a prebiotic, helping skin to restore and repair itself. Visit Olivia.com and use the code LAMOUR15 for 15% off your order. That's L-A-M-O-U-R-15 and save 15%. Okay, Marie, thanks so much for coming on Your Purpose is Beauty. I'm so, so happy you're here. Thanks. I'm really <laughs> excited to be here. It's I'm a little bit nervous, but... <laughs> it's totally, totally okay. You're my first true colleague actually on on the show, a fellow beauty blogger and someone that's a true beauty enthusiast. So I'd love to hear a bit more about your background. I know you are a nurse by training and I would just love for you to share why you decided to start a YouTube channel, what your YouTube channel is all about. And maybe we could also talk a bit about the masking subscription box company that you had, which is when I first found out about you. Through face mask alchemy. Yeah. So I um I'm a very creative person. And so I my first, you know, the first thing that I did was I got into art when I was younger. And so that kind of that idea of making things and being creative and seeking out bigger ideas kind of started there. And then as I was going along, I felt like I really didn't have a lot to say as an artist because I felt like I was really immature as far as the ideas of the world. I had been reading philosophers and some of the great artists who really talk about some of the deep aspects of art. And I was like, what does this 23-year-old kid have to say about art? And so I, um, you know, I spent some time surfing (laughs) and waiting tables. And then I realized when my grandmother passed away that a big aspect of being a nurse was the idea of teaching. And so I thought, oh, maybe I could do that. And as I started to take anatomy and physiology and chemistry, and I really realized that there were so many aspects of science that were so similar to art and that being a visual creative person actually really helped me understand a lot of things about science and a lot of things about the way medications worked. And so I really felt like even though it was so far away from art, it really was a natural progression for me. And then I started getting into green beauty when I was pregnant with my second son. And I started looking at ingredients lists and I started being concerned about what I might be exposing him to. And I had that typical freak out moment where I threw everything away. (laughs) And I realized as I started delving into it that there was this whole world out there of these personal care products that I wanted to investigate. And as you probably know from being a new mom, it can be a little bit isolating, especially because a lot of my friends at the time didn't have kids. And so I started this YouTube channel and I don't know. I was just overwhelmed by meeting people all over the world, people that were moms, people that were into the same ideas and and having... I think you can probably remember those beginning times on YouTube where you just 
you feel this intense connection to this new social online world. And it's very exciting and validating and fun. And so as I was kind of making YouTube videos, I was doing my typical thing where I'm like, okay, let's look at a formula. And as I started to look at a lot of the you know, first generation green beauty products, a lot of them had very simple formulas. And so I was like, okay, well, we got some clay and we could mix this in there and then we could do that. And I would make these kind of DIY videos and people were really into it. And so I had always been into subscription boxes. And so I thought, hey, wouldn't it be fun? Kind of like Ipsy, kind of like Birchbox in that same price range if I did like a little DIY mask. And so people were really into the idea. It was really fun. I would make videos and blog posts and then people would talk about it and share their experience. And it was just really fun. I want to hear more about what what it was like to basically run your own subscription box, you know, from the ingredient sourcing to I'm assuming you were packing everything up and sending it out and like the logistics. I'm so curious about what that was like. Yes. So in the beginning, it <laughs> it's so funny because anyone who's had their own business, you know that there is a humongous learning curve. And so In the beginning, I thought it was going to be like a handful of people, you know, and I had convinced my mom to give me some closet space at her house so that I could store some stuff in a temperature controlled environment. (laughs) And it's just funny. It just, because it did really well, it just took off to this place that I, I could not even imagine. So, you know, it was packing up things in my free time. It was just starting to take over my life. And I was just like not prepared for it at all. And then, you know, all the aspects of running a small business really become apparent. Like, for example, one of the things that stood out to me was I was paying for everything to be shipped here to Hawaii, only to put it all together and ship it back across the ocean. And that's kind of like the first time I really started to understand the eco footprint of beauty. And I was like, wow, you know, here I am every month having like all these different things shipped here only to ship them back out. And that's kind of like a big footprint for me. And so it really got into, it really helped me see what this was all kind of costing us on a bigger scale. And it really put this, this kind of eco beauty into my mind like what's the big picture here you know so do you think you'll ever bring it back or that's something that kind of been there done that and you'll leave the subscription boxes to the number of other companies that are out there which i would also like to hear hear your thoughts on because i know you work with uh several eco beauty subscription boxes so i am working on another project as far as making beauty products so yes I'm going to foray back into that, but I won't go back to subscription boxes. At least in, I think the era of subscription boxes are really reaching their peak, to be honest. I think that, you know, people are realizing that less is more, especially for your skin. And that if you get a product at a discount, which is really where subscription boxes kind of started, They were really appealing to the value consumer. Which is interesting because a lot of them 
you know, include luxury products, you know, but it is kind of premised on that idea that you're going to get these really beautiful luxury products at a really good price. Exactly. And and so I think I wouldn't go back to that simply because the market right now is so saturated for subscription boxes. And yes, it is an extremely profitable business model because you have expected income and you're not really going out every month trying to get people to click your link and buy your products. So in that way, it is a very successful business venture. But I just don't think that the next couple of years, I think we're going to see people offering more like limited edition things. The way Beauty Heroes has kind of transitioned into that, like limited offerings when they did the Discover the Smaller Indie Brand Makers. I think we're going to start seeing more things like that rather than a monthly box. So... I don't know what your thoughts would be on that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's like a pivot sort of because, you know, at the end of the day, these businesses are companies, right? And they want to make money. But when, especially with someone like Beauty Heroes, who I know you and I both are brand ambassadors for them, and I think have a lot of love for them, you know, their tagline is less is more. So you're encouraging the ethos of minimalism and conscious consumerism, but you are still a business. So it's interesting to see how how they are navigating that. And I think you brought up all the really good examples, you know, highlighting new and up and coming independent beauty brands, packaging products together still at a good price. But yeah, I actually hadn't thought that much about what what the future of the subscription boxes look like. But you're right, it is a completely oversaturated market. And what, you know, I would be curious what you hear from your audience. But what I hear a lot of is, I just need to take a break. I'm drowning in products. So people seem to be, you know, really wanting to use up things that they have. And this actually ties into another issue, which is preservation, because I also hear a lot of people expressing issues with their products going off before they can use them. So I don't know if that's something that you hear, but I actually do. It's been a big theme that's been coming up on some of my platforms. Yeah, definitely. You know, as it's been mentioned, we all only have one face. Right. I share my products. I don't know if you share your products with your family. I like will push push things to Kaveh. I'm like, hey, do you want to try this? It's like $150 face cream. He's like, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I'm always trying to get my mom to try things. But my mom is like the original hippie minimalist. And she's always like, mm, I don't think so. And I'm like, mom, but it's so fancy. It's so luxurious. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> and it's so funny. Like I, I wish I could interview her at some point about the Beauty Heroes products that she's liked that because I've tried, you know, at one point I had a Beauty Hero subscription for her and, you know, and I would be sharing all these products with her and she was just like, no, oh, but this one thing. And it would be like something that I would never have thought she would have liked. She would be like, oh, this, this one thing. I think it was the Maya Chia super pressed serum that she was like, now that is a product. That is a beautiful product. And I, I think just I like, need to see her on your channel. She sounds so delightful. I t- she told I would love to have her on. I, I do need to do a video with her because she is her own person. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And she will tell you, she will not let anyone ever down talk coconut oil. <laughs> she is still an original coconut oil user <laughs> and lover. Oh man, I have so much respect for that. But you know, one of the things 
just to touch on beauty heroes really quickly that I, you know, I stopped getting, I stopped personally purchasing any boxes and I stopped working with any other boxes other than beauty heroes because I wanted to explore this idea of, of curation. You know, that's one thing that I like about beauty heroes is like, I really trust Jeannie and I really interested in her vision of beauty. And so, um, you know, part of the aspect of the future of subscription boxes too could be people trusting a more prominent curator of the box. You know, I think we kind of see that with some of the really popular conventional estheticians doing one-time boxes and this idea that, you know, they've thought through every aspect of people trying these products. Yeah, that resonates with me a lot because I think that that's, that's why I feel attracted to companies or curators, but also brands. So I think what you just said really speaks to Infiore and Julie Elliott as, you know, she really is kind of an artist and she infuses that into the products. So I do think that that kind of particular perspective getting infused into a brand or product is becoming very resonant, I think, with a lot of consumers. Yeah. So you mentioned that you decided to stop working with other subscription boxes, just work with Beauty Heroes, which ties into a larger question I have, which is how you decide what kind of products you'll feature on your YouTube channel. So I know for anyone listening that isn't familiar with Marie's work yet, she does a weekly video on Mondays called Monday Mixed Plate, which I saw that you're thinking about moving to Instagram. Is there a verdict on that yet? Yes, the YouTube community rose up <laughs> and said, <laughs> don't you dare. So it will okay. be staying on YouTube. <laughs> it will be staying on YouTube. So actually, I'd love for you to share a bit about the concept behind Monday Mixed Plate and just how, I guess, basically how you plan content. I'm really curious to hear from another creator how you go about you know, getting inspired, how you decide what products you know, make it onto the channel, wading through everything, your whole thought process behind that. So for me, early on with products and PR and brands and things like that, I just decided I didn't want to go that route. So the only PR or anything I do is with beauty heroes because I have a... Well, Jeannie's from Hawaii. So (laughs) we have that strong connection about our vision sort of of the world. So really what I wanted to do was talk about products that I personally wanted to purchase with my money because I felt like... That was for me sort of telling about what I thought was, what I thought worked. And so I really, you know, kind of as I got into that, I realized I kind of sunk myself (laughs) to some degree about making content because I'm like, well, I'm not using that many products right now. I only have like the things, I only have this, or I'm only using, like right now, I'm only using the Beauty Heroes um, Blue Alchemy Serum and a couple other products. So I started having to look into other aspects of uh, my life to say like, where could I get some content from? And I myself personally like to... like a, I have a lot of interests. And so I thought, well, I'm going to make these videos for people like me who like, we love beauty products, but you know, we can't just talk about that in our content. So I started doing that. I started putting in like movie reviews and book reviews and recipes and plants and and I think people just kind of liked the 
multidimensional aspect of it. And so I've gone through periods where I really enjoy doing it because I feel like I have a lot going on in my mind and a lot I want to share. And then I've gone through periods where it makes it, it can be tough because it's like, you're only so interesting. (laughs) But you're inherently continually interesting to your audience. I relate to so much of what you're saying in terms of having a lot of interests and creating sort of a multidimensional platform or like a sharing that perspective with the world. And it's really interesting how people really do gravitate to that and they don't get bored with watching or consuming content on what you would consider to be quite mundane things about yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is fascinating because... So like, it's kind of funny, like the relationship you have to making content and then if it's successful or not. So one of the ones that I that I did that people loved was a plant tour of my all the succulent plants that I have. And I'm like, you know, I kind of hesitated to post that because I'm like, it is kind of boring. But a lot of people loved it. And I was like, okay, well, I need to post more, more about my plants, you know? So before we move on to some other issues in eco-beauty, which I want to get into with you, how is the Blue Alchemy 21-day botanic retinol thing going for you? So, you know, at first, it's a very lovely formula. I'm really enjoying the texture. Um, At first, I was like, oh, more blue tansy. But actually, the scent is light enough that it doesn't overpower me. So I have kind of, my brain has almost started to ignore the smell to some degree. But to be honest, like 21 days is is a really short amount of time to see results um, as far as like um, cell turnover or collagen building or elastin, elastin building or any of those types of things. However, one of the most interesting things I noticed is that I have started to have a sort of purge on my forehead, which I was fascinated by because that that can be a sign of increased cell turnover. So I have like heavily over keratinized skin just on my whole body. And so I, I've had to rely on acids to try to help keep that under control. And so I, I get this like buildup of skin on my forehead, but I will get these pockets of areas where you can see there's like a recessed, like clogged pore but there's no no exit point for it you know and so you're like oh is that just going to be is that going to be part of my forehead forever now <laughs> and so i had two different areas where it was just like i guess that must be because here in hawaii we get a lot of responses to the sun interesting responses in your skin to the sun and so i was like is that just you know a pocket of these kind of I forget the term that they're called, but it's it's a response to the sun that you can get on your skin. And um, I was like, oh, maybe that's that. And then all of a sudden, here I've had this spot on my forehead for six months. All of a sudden, it's like coming to the surface. And I'm like, holy cow. Like, I thought that was just going to be part of me forever. <laughs> so in that way, I'm like, is it the serum? Because nothing else, I've used, I've been using acids two to three days a week for a year. And you know, I've never seen that type of response just on acids alone. So I'm like, maybe it's the serum. I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued enough that I'm going to keep using it. 
So there have been some big debates that have been coming up in our part of the beauty space, which I don't know how you refer to it. I I call it eco or organic beauty, but the more popular terms that a lot of people use are non-toxic beauty, clean beauty. So a couple of big debates have been swirling and Bakuchiol is actually one of them. So I would be curious to hear your thoughts on Bakuchiol and the issue of phytoretinols. Um, Another thing that what you just said made me want to hear more from you about is the sun. And if you have a perspective on chemical versus physical SPFs, which is another hot button issue. And from there, perhaps we could talk about some of these bigger beauty industry problematics and debates that have been going on. So my feelings on Bakuchiol are very extensive. (laughs) On one hand, I think it's very exciting to hear about an ingredient that's a plant that, you know, gives active like properties to skincare. On the other hand, I I get a little bit hesitant because what we're seeing right now is people are putting it in everything. And so that just automatically in my mind triggers like an idea of concern. Because I'm like we kn- we don't in scientific trials, a lot about this ingredient. And what it's promising to do is actually pretty big. Working on the cell, increasing cell turnover, like that's that's not something we should just take lightly. And so I don't know. The the way that it were that everyone's talking about it, everyone's putting it in everything, like I'm just like, oh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. I mean, part of why the Blue Alchemy product is appealing and and you can tell me what you think, but it, it feels like there's a real synergy in the formulation there and it's it's kind of more in, um, intentional perhaps, but I agree with you that it seems to be getting... For example, Honua, I heard someone told me that they just added Bakuchiol to the Aloha You Serum which I didn't know. And I think that the one that showed up in the September uh, Beauty Heroes anniversary box was sort of the last of the, the original formulation. And now it has Bakuchiol in it. So to throw it into formulas, I mean, I would be curious to hear Honua's perspective on that, but do you have thoughts? So I think, you know, um, Kapua is one of my favorite people in green beauty. And so I think she would definitely be able to speak better to what her decision. But I think one of the things that I've read about why she put it in there was because she wanted to use that ingredient, but she didn't want to create a new product for it. And so that type of mindset is obviously very appealing to me. And I very much trust her and her formulations. So I would, of course, be interested to try it. But this is one of the things I've been thinking about, about an ingredient like this, is that when we use vitamin A in traditional skincare, there's a reverence to that. Most people, you know, they're not stepping into using retinol products without some thought process to it and what it's going to do to the skin and how they're going to use it. And so my hesitation with green beauty is that I don't see the same type of reverence being used for this ingredient. And we're literally talking about some of the same similar actions. 
And so are you going to be using two products with it? Are you going to be using three products with it? Is it going to be in your eye cream and in your serum and in your lotion? Then that's a lot for the skin in a way that we would not see vitamin A used. And so I'm, I'm just saying to Green Beauty, maybe we should just slow down with this <laughs> and talk so that we don't get into a situation, which is kind of tends to be for Green Beauty, where we just jump in and think about the consequences later. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So it's I've also been seeing brands in the eco-beauty space coming out with quote-unquote gentle retinols, which I believe are using synthetic retinol, but in ostensibly a lower dosage. So I just saw Maya Chia came out with one. I know Josh Rosebrook is in the process of formulating a gentle retinol. And I know Marie Veronique's gentle retinol has been one of the mainstays in the green beauty space. So do you have thoughts on the synthetic versus plant-based debate? Or you just think that they kind of hold different places for different people? I think obviously, you know, if you're looking for results, you know, seeking out a stronger active is definitely going to be the way to go. I think I don't really have, you know, if you want to use vitamin A, if you want to use Bacuchiol, you know, I don't really have an, a, an opinion on one being better than the other. I'm excited to see Maya Chia's product. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> She does great products. I was having some back and forth with Becky from Blue Alchemy about Bacuchiol and the phytoretinol and then Josh Rosebrook's Instagram post. And she was saying that the issue, and like I feel so ignorant for not even knowing this, but I guess the issue apart from whatever potential concerns you might have with cell metabolism or cell health with synthetic vitamin A, but I guess parabens are used to preserve synthetic vitamin A a lot. So the preservative system to keep it in an aqueous solution, I guess, is also a problem. But Becky had made a pretty compelling argument to me that it's an issue. It's it's so funny because when we start talking about vitamin A, I just, I have a lot of intuitive feelings that come up that I don't really have a great explanation for. And that totally segues into more conventional like procedures like you, like derma, dermaplaning or, um, or derma rolling. I just intuitively, I've never felt drawn to some of that. And I don't know why. I just, it's getting into a category where I'm just like, oh, that feels like big girl stuff. <laughs> yeah. Or, or like it feels, it feels aggressive. That's like the, the feeling that I get is like, it's just aggressive. And and I talked about this quite a bit in my skincare philosophy episode here on the podcast. And I totally respect that that stuff is for some people. But what I'm really interested in what you said is, you know, when you, what you said about retinol, and this segues into these much, much bigger debates that are going on between eco-beauty, but really, I just think free thinking, critical thinking, alternative, holistic-minded people and the quote unquote scientific, you know, mainstream conventional beauty and just scientific community in general. And I feel like they're getting pitted against each other and people are told, well, science shows this. So what you're feeling doesn't, doesn't really matter. This is a big problem I have to, to sort of turn people away from a personal feeling that they might have on something. And as you said, maybe there's no quote unquote 
concrete or scientific reason why, or maybe there is, and you know, we have little kids, so we just don't have the time to go extensively reading through PubMed and, and, and check research funding streams. I mean, there's so much there. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's really, to me, science and intuition go hand in hand. You know, if you read anything about Albert Einstein, he was very much going on intuition. We're leading him to his ideas, keeping him up at night. And, and the thought that like, we can't just say, I don't want to use retinol because it just doesn't feel right to me. And that really not be valid enough. Or I just, I don't want to, it's so funny because you know, one of the things that doesn't feel right to me is um, microcurrents. And I even bought a new face and I had it in my hand and I was looking at it and I was like about to put it to my face and I was just like, no. (laughs) So interesting. So interesting. I don't know if it's a multitude of things. I don't know if it's my background with my mom where it's just like, she just was very sort of like intuitive in that way. And you really just didn't need to go those routes as far as beauty. She was very sort of hands-off, no makeup, no bra, no shaving. And so I don't know if it's that and that this kind of foray into more conventional practices just doesn't feel right from that. Or if it's that I didn't grow up with a lot of, I didn't have a problem with acne. And so I was never really used to in this idea in my mind of, going to extremes to get results in my skincare. And so I know for people that suffer from extreme acne, like they would do anything to try to resolve it. And so I never kind of had that mentality because I didn't suffer from acne growing up. And so I just, the idea of, and not that microcurrents are extreme, but for somebody who has at times only used coconut oil kind of felt like just intuitively wrong for me. And so I ended up giving my new face away in a giveaway on my channel. (laughs) I never used it. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And so, yeah, it is funny. Like the, that now in some ways, the wellness industry has degraded the idea of intuition and feelings and, um, listening to yourself. And I feel like what has, yeah, I do think it's been degraded. And what I see happening on a lot of these online debates is really telling people that, oh, well, I have a study to show that the way you feel is wrong. (laughs) You know, there's, there's facts, there's science. It's you're wrong. The way you feel is wrong because there's a study here that, that tells you that you're wrong. And I think that I have a real issue with that. And, you know, look, you and I are both educated people. We both come from academic backgrounds. You in the in the hard sciences more than I, but I know how to interpret scientific studies as well. And there, I, I don't think we can pretend too that you know this taps into another debate too. I mean, I'm I'm very critical of the scientific establishment, but I think people also push back on that and say, oh, well, we're at a very difficult point in human history, aka post-Trump in the United States, where people are questioning institutions. And I, I push back on that. I mean, I don't think you can ever lose a critical perspective on any enterprise, even science. Well, you know, as as we've kind of seen in our history, 
questioning institutions did not just start. We as an American people, it's woven into our DNA to question. Yes, thank you for pointing that out. And so that that can be tracked in a timeline for you know the birth of our country. And so it just is interesting to me, one of the things that um, the documentary Toxic Beauty pointed out, and I talked about in one of my recent videos, was this idea that one of the scientists pointed out that pitting science against each other made them seem like you know, a debatable society when really, you know, you can, you can do a scientific study and it can show one thing and then you can do another one and it can show something else. And then you can do another one and it can show something else. And so it's never this direct line. And so when I see- static thing, right? Yeah. And so when I see people making these assertions online that talc doesn't cause ovarian cancer or- parabens are fine in um, pregnancy. I'm just like, so how many characters can you have in an Instagram post? And then how many extra comments are you going to add on to that? And so, yes, in that short amount of time, you're touching on a topic that is so broad and is so extensively studied in so many fields. And yet, here you have in your Instagram post, like, laid down the law of science of science here. <laughs> just like it's just kind of funny to me that I'm just like, you know, this is not the way that science really works and if you intuitively don't want to use parabens in pregnancy or you now don't want to use baby powder because there's something in you that is resonated with um, some of these stories that people have told or something that you've read, then that why isn't that okay? <laughs> right. And I feel like you're you are made to feel like it's not okay because science tells you that it's not okay. And I, there's just been this in really intense polarization. I, I mean, it's been going on, I think, for a while, but there was this video published, I don't know when was it, a month and a half ago by a I believe she's a no longer practicing dermatologist and she's a full-time YouTuber slash influencer, Dr. Dre. And she published a video on YouTube, under her YouTube channel about why clean beauty needs to die in 2020. So obviously this created a real intense reaction and just lots of, you know, applauding her on the one hand and then reactions on the other hand. And Marie, you actually made a rebuttal to her video. So what was that experience like and what kind of feedback did you get from from the video that you did on your channel in response to Dr. Dre's video? So the funny thing is, is that I never watched her video. (laughs) I watched the first six minutes. That was about as much as I could take. Yeah. So what stood out to me, which is something that I've been working on pointing out is the aggressiveness of the title. The word clean beauty needs to die. To me said, you got to be kidding me, right? Like that, that is your educated perspective. That's the way you're going to phrase it. And it was part of a larger dynamic that I'm seeing online of 
this aggressiveness towards green, clean beauty and the ideas and people that want to use it. And I just was, I'm like, on, on multi-dimensions, I'm like, so you guys don't really understand why people are seeking out green, clean beauty. Well, let me make you a video about why. Because for some people, it has nothing to do with ingredients. <laughs> for some people, it has everything to do with ingredients. And you really need someone to make you a primer as to why it's rising and why people are wanting to capture part of the business of green, clean beauty. You're confused? Well, here's my video. You can watch it. And then, you know, if you'd like to talk to me off, off the record, we can talk about it. But I'm just like, honestly, like the, the amount of people making aggressive statements, I'm just like, okay, <laughs> you don't realize that these are all human beings, right? That they all have a reason why they're seeking green or cleaner products that are very deeply personal for them. Have you been enjoying Your Purpose is Beauty? You can unlock exclusive episodes of this podcast by visiting patreon.com slash l'amour et la musique. For $3 per month, you gain access to one exclusive episode published on the first Monday of every month. You receive a private RSS feed link to add to your podcast player of choice, or you can listen directly on Patreon. In these exclusive episodes, I expound on more personal, potentially controversial, or thought-provoking topics that are suited to an intimate community. If you're interested in more, there are other tiers of support that include a poll-based monthly exclusive video produced for the Patreon community, individual video-based correspondence, live Get Ready With Me makeup videos and skincare routines, and astrology of beauty and Venus readings from a classical perspective. Patreon funds directly support the production of this podcast, as well as other L'Amour content. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Your Purpose's Beauty. And now back to today's episode. Where do you think that aggression comes from? From, I mean, it's from that side, it seems like it's cosmetic formulators, bloggers, but also, you know, consumers that seem, I don't know, you know, overwhelmed by the possibility that they could be using things that could be damaging. So they just kind of want to be an ostrich and stick their head in the sand. I mean, where, where is the aggression coming from? Do you think? So part of it is in my, these are all my opinions. Okay. But part of it is that this industry is now no longer just the wackadoos in the corner with their essential oils. It's now taking over a huge part of the market. And so you know, what I heard somebody say online a while ago, and I, I wish I had connected with the person who said it. And I think it was somebody reposting something in somebody else's stories. But it talked about how this idea or desire for green, clean beauty is requiring people to be more transparent in a way that they've never had to before. And they're now having to answer to the consumer, maybe in a way that they don't feel is necessary. So, you know, you look at Bite Beauty just released their new line, their new rebrand or reformulations. And here were all of these people bringing them to task on even the smallest things about their formula. And you see them answering in the comments over and over and over again. Well, we're using specifically this type of silicone. We're using specifically this type of fragrance. Like this is exactly where it's coming from. 
And so I think for some, just for the field of cosmetic chemistry, like I think having to ex- explain to the consumer always that this is exactly how and why we're doing stuff is, you know, maybe unnecessary. And then when you get into sort of the consumer's aspect of it, well, we know that it's not just personal care products. And that if you were to use in your lifetime one product that contained parabens, you would probably see no health effects. And so if you isolate it into that one statement and you then apply it to everything else, then why is anyone questioning parabens? They're a wackadoo. And yet those of us who are kind of in this more wellness, green, clean beauty space, we're saying it's not just the one personal care product. Women are using 12 personal care products. It's also in your medication. It's also in your food. It's also all these other things that are playing into it. And so it's just, you know, an interesting phenomenon that this aggression is coming out towards people who are really just trying to take a more active role in their health which is one of the things I think is like the most beautiful thing about sort of the eco-wellness space is this idea of becoming very involved and connected to your body, to the things that you're putting in it, to the sacredness of the plants that you are harvesting, to the maybe the animals that you're eating, this awareness of your menstrual cycle, awareness of your hormonal needs, awareness of your self-care needs. I mean, these are all things that are coming out of like the wellness space. And even though there's problems, to me, it's still very beautiful. Beautifully said. And I think you really brought out, you know, some of the intangibles that get lost in this discussion. An argument that I hear a lot from the other quote-unquote side is, well, and this, this actually came out in the Toxic Beauty documentary when they were doing the biomonitoring body burden study with the medical student Mimi. So you know, if, if anyone were to give, say, a urine sample or a breast milk sample or any other kind of bodily fluid sample to be tested for a chemical body burden, I mean, we all have these things in us. Everybody does. It is literally an empirical reality. But what I feel like, you know, the conventional side will say is, oh, well, your body has the ability to synthesize that and excrete it. And you do see, I mean, I just looked at the results on the screen, your body burden will peak at certain points in the day. And then in the morning, your system is quote unquote, you know, clear because your body has metabolized or excreted, you know, these chemicals. Some of them are more persistent than others. And I think you probably know more specifics about that than I do off the top of my head. But what I always think is, Yes, our our bodies are very adaptable. They, you know, quote unquote, naturally detox themselves. But why are you giving your body that extra task when there are better alternatives that you don't have to to have your body excrete? Does that make sense? Or do you have thoughts on that? Sure, absolutely. I mean, the CDC is monitoring urine. And so it's not even just like something that people are sending off to to laboratories anymore. Like we're very aware that everyone's being exposed in in large quantities to a lot of these ingredients. 
And so without getting too scientific, and I can always send you the link to this article. I would be happy to include it in the show notes, actually. So yes. <laughs> because I, I really hate when people just abstractly talk about sciences yeah. and then don't give you the link. <laughs> but it was an article that came up on a medical professional site that I frequent about the monitoring of these metabolites in the urine and how the CDC and another regulatory body were using like a different level. The the article will be more specific about it. And so when they... Like a different threshold. Yeah. So when they were comparing it, they're like, you know, maybe there's a lot more in the urine than we thought. Oh, so they they had to lower the bar basically and take a more like nuanced or granular approach? Yeah. And so it was just very intriguing to me. So I'm like, here, here we are starting to discover that maybe the way we're measuring some of this stuff isn't 100% accurate, or maybe it's not, like you said, nuanced enough. And I just don't know why we would expose ourselves to something that's potentially a risk if we didn't have to. Right. That's, you know, in light of the leaps and bounds that alternative products have made in the last, you know, five to eight years. What I always wonder is, and I have, you know, people that I talk to about this actually with respect to the physical versus chemical SPF issue, you know, if there's a better alternative, all else held equal, why wouldn't you opt for that? Now, the all else held equal has a lot of caveats to it, particularly, I think, with the sunscreen issue, because For example, a lot of the physical sunscreens, even though they have made progress, a lot of them leave a white cast, which is not, you know, is more of an issue on deeper skin tones, for example, or price can be an issue. So I think that, you know, if you do hold all of those things equal and there is an option that is better, or, you know, I guess I should say that one feels more comfortable using, why wouldn't you do that? But part of the issue too, is I think there's a lot of things we haven't talked about too, which is accessibility and the issue of price. And a lot of the criticisms leveled against the green beauty community are of elitism and a language around purity. And some of those actually, I do feel are valid criticisms. And I think that green beauty has had a real rhetorical challenge when trying to communicate itself. And I kind of do want to get into this issue of the problems that I think we, a lot of us in this space agree on are problematic, which is some of the marketing language. At least that would be my personal opinion. I don't know what you think about some of the marketing language. Definitely. So I think you and I have kind of had a very parallel you know, you were obviously making videos a lot longer than I have, but a very parallel experience of questioning the fear-mongering. I know I definitely saw the preservative issue coming from a mile away <laughs> in green beauty. I mean, if you think about some of the historical issues that it's had, the fear-mongering that really wasn't science-based, preservative issues, Definitely the affluent white woman complex, which still is so prevalent today in a lot of clean beauty brands. And and I think what's interesting is I think a lot of the people that are critiquing green beauty are not really aware of sort of the way we've we're trying to evolve out of those 
historical problems. So when I made my most recent video about like, why does green, green beauty continue to rise? One of the things people brought up to me was the idea of preservation. And I, and I wanted to say, I was like, name for me five large brands that are not preserving their products. Find five small, like smaller indie brands that are reputable, that are not preserving their products. You're not going to find it. We are evolving rapidly out of that problem. And yeah, you're going to find it's Etsy makers who are not following these ideals, but that's true for you know, all types of industry. Preservation is really not a problem anymore. And so then we're starting to look at diversity. You know, A lot of us, diversity really matters to us. So for example, I was just looking up the Westman Atelier and not to call out any brand or whatever, but I was just looking up their foundation and I was just like, you know, I, I know they probably have their reason, but I can't, I don't want to purchase from them because they were 12 shades of beige. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, trying to call them out or call out anyone who wants to use that foundation. I'm just saying for me personally, diversity representation really matters. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, I want to try Bite Beauty because they are actively trying to say that everyone belongs and that there's clean beauty for everyone. And that's really a, a concept that has mattered a lot to me, which is you know, in part why I've always talked about affordable products on my channel, products that I could personally purchase because I wanted to say like, this is for everyone. Everyone should have the access to this. I know one of the problems I always felt like with Green Beauty was they started to rebel when smaller companies get bought by larger companies. And then also green, clean beauty being sold at Target and Walmart and all these other big box stores. And I just am like, no, no. Everyone should have access to these products. And then you get into this bigger mindset where it's like, if I can drive to Target on Maui and pick up my physician's formula, mascara, while I'm getting my groceries, that is a good thing for our planet. And that is helping us as a community and as a movement grow. Those types of big, um, big idea, big perspective mentality is what's going to allow us to continue to gain trust from the consumer. Is there anything else that we want to talk about with respect to the Toxic Beauty documentary or the Dr. Dre video? Is there anything else you feel is kind of lingering there? One thing I wanted to mention, if you don't mind, is that myself and a couple of other individuals in the community were starting a little Instagram page called Green Beauty Theory. And what I feel like is really important right now is that as a community, we start to rise up together and strengthen our own voice because I'm really tired of the narrative being set by conventional beauty and then also by brands, even brands in the green beauty space. I feel like we as the consumer have the power, to be honest. We are the people who bought these products. We are the people who have made this into a multi-billion dollar industry. And we need more of a say. 
in what um, behavior is tolerated, what is being said about us and our education levels. (laughs) And so this is just my little thing into the world to say that come join us and help as a consumer, help us start to gain numbers and start to be able to say outside of people selling products that this is what we're about. Everyone who is trying to capitalize on the money-making aspect of this industry, it's just, it's way more than that. It is all these deeply personal stories and experiences and intuitions and that there is so much power in that if we come together. I just feel really strongly that now is the time to start speaking up. You know, now is the time for us to start coming together. I want to end on just kind of a fun, you know, beauty enthusiast to beauty enthusiast note. And people listening to this obviously just really enjoy hearing about products. So I know that your skincare is a little bit streamlined right now because of your blue alchemy test, but can you share a bit about some of your other favorite products right now, whether it's in makeup or body care or like a favorite wellness tip or anything like that. Just a little insight into what's going on on Maui, which is, I really wish I was there with you right now. It's been <laughs> so cold in Chicago. For me, the the product that has like knocked me off my feet and I'm just like head over heels in love with is the uh, Welletta Skin Food and the Skin Food Light. This is one of those historical green beauty brands that um, some people you know, have an issue with still to this day. But I think it is, um, it's so funny because I started using it months ago and I've gone through two tubes of it now. And I just, it performs for me every single time. Like I tend to have moisturizer fatigue I'll get a new moisturizer. I'll really like it. I'll get halfway through and I'll just be like, it's just not performing anymore. But this simple product that is so affordable, I can layer it on top of anything. I can... Do um, so you use it face and body kind of everywhere? I just use it on my face right now. You just use it on your face. Okay. Yeah. I just, I mostly use body oils on my body. And so... um it's just shocking to me. The original formula is is too thick for a lot of people. It's super emollient. So I have experience with that product actually. And I was quite excited to see they came out with a light version because I had tried to use it as a hand cream and it's a total no-go for the original as a hand cream. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. The light version for anybody who's listening or interested in the product you know, unfortunately, when they made the light version, they included a lot more butters in there. So it can't, there is some shea butter. I think there's some cocoa butter. So still it can be too rich, I think, for some people's skin. But it has such a nice performance for me, the light version under makeup. So I'll just, keeps my skin moisturized all night, keeps my skin moisturized all day. And I'm just like, I would never have suspected. (laughs) Yeah, that's an OG, like before before green beauty was even a thing. That's like the health food store product of like the early aughts, probably. I don't know how long that product's been around, but I think for quite a long time. I know. And isn't it kind of funny, like everything comes full circle, right? Because my mom was the person shopping in the health food stores when I was a kid. And so it's just kind of funny to me that it's just kind of comes full circle. And it's so kind of in line with like my beliefs 
system about green beauty is that here is this old school brand that has just been quietly doing their thing over in the corner that their product, their original product would be the biggest standout to me for moisturizers in all of green beauty. It's just it's hilarious to me. <laughs> but I really do like it as a... Um, the original formula I don't use as often anymore because my skin has been in really good shape, but I'll use it as an eye cream. And it works really well as that too. So, I was just going to ask if you have any favorite products for your kids So for us, because we live in a high humid environment, on top of the fact that they're boys, you know, they tend to have better skin. My philosophy is really less is more with them. So we only use bar soap. um, And my favorite bar soap from them is actually by a brand called L'Amour out of Mongolia. I am just head over heels in love with her soaps. For anyone listening who is vegan, she does use animal products in her soaps. Like tallow. It's, I know tallow runs throughout the line a lot. Yeah. Yak's, yak's milk, I think. But her process of using animal fats, her process of making soap, it is all very richly interwoven to their cultural practices. Using animal fat for soap is basically like the original way of making soap. And so she doesn't put any scents in them. They have this naturally fresh smell. So I love her soaps for my kids. I feel so good about those soaps. And I have like a backup, (laughs) a backup of her soaps. And then we really don't use a ton of products on them. Um, I don't have them wash their hair every night. I keep their hair short. Because, you know, they're in such an important developmental stage, my philosophy is really less is more as far as products go for them. Where do you, if you kind of had to optimistically posit where you see the green beauty community or just the the beauty space going in the next, let's say, five years, what do you kind of envision? Maybe both realistically or and or optimistically. So in my dream world, conventional beauty with their resources and their talents and green beauty with their mindfulness and their talents would come together and we would come to a consensus on things like packaging. For example, what is the worst eco eco footprint? Is it plastic or glass? And then, you know, we would come from the mindset of like and so are we using plastics that, that have phthalates or, or is, is aluminum being transferred into the product? Like we would come to a consensus on that, you know? Because I've heard so many, so much debate around some of these broad issues. And I wish, I wish it would stop being us and them. And it would start being like, what is best for everyone? It's Mercedes. I'm back with just a few closing thoughts. I really hope that you felt enlivened by that conversation as much as I did while I was having it. You know, as these things typically go, Marie and I talked quite a bit off the recording. And after the fact, we were messaging each other saying, man, we should have, like the best parts were the parts that we didn't even record. 
So we thought for a bit about potentially redoing it, but I thought that the conversation went really well and I wanted to go ahead and release this for you to listen to, but I really would like to have a part two conversation with Marie, especially in light of her starting this new project called Green Beauty Theory, which I think is so needed in this space. I encourage everyone to go check it out. I just think in light of the polarization and a lot of the divisiveness that's been going on, that there needs to be this this voice that's really trying to you know remember the genesis of green beauty why all of us got into it in the first place and to not abandon why we feel the way we do about it because there are people beating us over the brow with a particular lens of scientific rigor i'm really really appreciative uh, to marie for giving me her time for this conversation I'll link in the show notes everywhere else you can find her on Instagram and on YouTube, as well as where you can follow her Green Beauty Theory project on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll look forward to seeing you here next week. Bye.